Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Welcome back to another episode of Something for the Turbo. Thank you very much for tuning in to listen. We hope you are well wherever in the world you are listening from and that you're getting out on the bike lots and of course enjoying all the epic racing that we've got on at the moment. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the podcast, leave a review and tell all your cycling friends. Do help us in spreading the podcast around the cycling community. And yes, if you haven't yet downloaded the Unfound app, please do. You can find it in the App Store or on Google Play. All you have to do is download it, register and join a global community of cyclists and you can share rides and photos and stories and ask questions and loads more. So we look forward to seeing you on the hub. Now, I was absolutely delighted to be joined by Rory Sutherland, who kindly took the time out to have a little chat with us last week. We discussed his career from arriving in Europe in the early days with a suitcase in Belgium to racing in the US for five years and then returning back to Europe to ride with some of the world's biggest teams with Saxo Tinkoff, Movistar, UAE Team Emirates, and he's now with Israel Startup Nation. We talk about some of the world's biggest races, riding for Contador, Valverde, and Dan Martin. We discuss his views and thoughts on the sport and how it's evolving, his restaurant and cafe, and he even leaves us with some wise words of wisdom. As he hangs up his wheels at the end of the season, we wish Rory all the very best in his next chapter. But without further ado, let me bring you Rory. Rory, thank you very much for joining us. How are you getting on? Yeah, not bad. Just resting up after uh, after flesh were lying yesterday. Did a little stretch yesterday. Good workout. Good <laughs> you, could, you could call it a stretch <laughs> if that's what you want to call it. We'll call it a we'll call it a, a legs a leg stretch opener. Leg stretch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just go, going back a bit. I mean, how, how are you feeling post post injury uh, last December? Are you, are you back to full fitness now? Feeling good? Yeah, it's 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 difficult one, you know, because uh, you know, for those that didn't know. You know, in December last year in Israel, I broke my broke my femur pretty badly, yeah. uh, and have a nice 40, 44 centimeter metal rod down the middle of it now, which is lovely. Yeah, no, no, it's it, it was I didn't mess around, I did it properly. I did these things by half. Yes, and uh, so coming back from that was especially at uh, what I was thirty seven at the time. So that was a uh, that was something that most doctors I spoke to said basically wasn't wasn't possible. Uh, you can get back to to some sort of you can ride your bike and do all that stuff, but professional sport uh, is a whole nother ball game. You know, when you're talking about getting into that little top echelon of 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 a, any sport really yeah, yeah um so it was kind of a victory in itself to be able to just get back to racing and then you know trying to see what uh, how effective you can be and and what level you can get at within that but then you know on the other side with the age point is you know this is this this kind of always was going to be my last year anyway um of racing and okay. uh you planned that for a while had you Has that been on the yeah, cards for it was a little bit? kind of every every year we kind of had a chat about it and my wife and i and we see where how we're feeling and what's going on and and it was always kind of before this contract it was even maybe going to be the end of last year because the the older you get the more for me personally it comes down to it's just a year at a time to see because things can change so dramatically in terms of your your own motivation or, or what your goals and aspirations are so yeah but going back to <clears throat> You know the recovery process and everything is getting getting yourself fit again, and then you know with the, with the age thing and knowing you're going to retire is like how much motivation you have within that. Yeah, just to get your head straight to take it all on again, right? It must be like, yeah, oh, I, I, I do it again. <laughs> and 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 there's a huge, there's actually quite a big part of post traumatic stress involved, uh, which I didn't really realize or, or know enough about. Uh, but I, you know, I've talked to we all most professional athletes these days speak to psychologists or sports psychologists as part of our part of our jobs. And, you know, one of them brought it up and they're like, oh, you probably have uh, 
you know, post-traumatic uh, stress from the from the accident because I did notice yeah. that, oh, wow. that a lot of things in the peloton now I look forward and think, oh, that's a crash waiting to happen, you know. So that kind of yeah, so that kind of changes things quite dramatically, yeah. Yeah. So you you announced it was only last week, wasn't it? That you announced the the, yeah. the decision to hang the wheels up. I kind of had it uh, had it in my mind for a while, but I kind of wanted to see how things. I think with the way that the the season's gone with with the COVID uh, situation, you know, yeah. I really needed to for myself see where I could get back to, yeah. uh, get racing. Yeah. And, and the big thing was, you know, if I had just been kept on training, training was going fantastically. Like all the numbers were good, the team was super happy with that. But you need to really know and feel what it's like when you get into a race. And when I got into the racing, you know, I, I realized I didn't love it as much as what I used to. And that was that was last year as well. But uh, it's, you know, the Peloton's changed and I've changed. Um, so, yeah, you know, then there was the the time of, of really deciding that, you know, uh, it's it's sufficient, it's it's enough. I don't I don't hate it or dislike it. I just don't love it necessarily as much as I did before. And when you when you don't, that's, you know, if you're talking about one, two percent, three percent difference, that's huge. You know that that's the difference between making it in the group or or breaking that half a second later before a corner or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to be fully committed, right? So mm. it sounds, in a way, it's, it's been. I mean, I mean you, we'll come onto your journey as a whole, but it's almost come to a natural concu- conclusion. The racing part, which is probably quite gratifying for you. It is, you know. Like I said, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't, you know, I haven't, I haven't overdone it or anything like that. I think living in different countries and, and racing in the states for a few years and and what have you, it's kind of. Uh, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have kept doing it if it wasn't, you know, enjoyable. Uh, yeah, and I didn't true. see a purpose. Yeah. But it is semi gratifying. Know that it's. Uh, I think the biggest thing for my wife and I, the the most difficult bit was the, I guess, the fear of the unknown or fear that you're making the right decision or not. Um, yeah. Because you know we, especially on on Israel Startup Nation, you know they've signed a pretty amazing group of guys next year and taking another step up. And Froomey's coming on board and yeah. yeah, and that's all exciting stuff. And I I was actually offered a a new contract to continue for next year, and so it was a pretty difficult thing. Especially during a, a quite a big economic downturn and a and a pandemic, yeah, exactly. to say no to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I could appreciate uh, that. My wife, my wife's face was interesting the first time I said it to her. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I don't think I'll race. I don't think I'll do this next year." She's like, "Okay, right. Okay. Um, yeah, if that's What's what you choose. What, so, who's paying for for dinner?" And so yeah, so in that in that sense, it is gratifying and just to, it's kind of knowing that there's a. There's a finishing date, and and I'm you know since I made that choice, and and really there's no turning back from it either. Like the the job opportunity I had here is is gone. You know they have to find somebody else for that role, and that's and that's great. You know I was obviously like I said I'm the one that turned it down, and and then I got into another race after that, and I was like no, definitely the right decision. You know I just yeah, you I know, made the right decision. It, yeah. Today, right? it confirms it right, but it, I mean it look, does. I, I, it does. I, I mean, I think you're, obviously you've had such a, a long career in the sport mm. and obviously been in the States and you've done so much and almost become sort of an elder statesman of the, of the Peloton in some respect. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you want to take some time out and spend it with the family, but but I, I'm assuming given the knowledge and experience you've had, you, you plan to sort of continue to be involved in the sport in, in some respect? In some respect, but I think there's, there's levels of what I want to do with that. Uh, you know, and, and from what I've done for basically the last 20 years and, and being professional for probably, you know, 16, I think I moved to Belgium 20 years ago from Australia by myself. So uh, it's been going on, you know, I've been doing it for quite a while and definitely the last 10, 11 years uh, after meeting, you know, being with my wife, 
is that it's always yeah. been about me. You know, everything's about yeah, me. Yeah. And so when I retire, uh, I think it's important that, that she has that opportunity to do things for her, not based on my race program, which then becomes our family plan for the year. Um, You've got a lot of school runs to make up on. Yeah, and, and but that's the other part. It's like I'm excited about that. You know, absolutely, yeah. My, my kids might not be, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't know how to. They don't know how to approach some of it. But no, and that's you know, it, it's 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 exciting in that sense. And you know, yeah, I'd like to be involved in the sport in some way for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But within my own, uh, what would you call it? My own realm of what I think is is sufficient. You know, I, I don't. I don't. There's a lot of I don't want to do's. And yeah. probably quite lucky to be in a position from racing for all these years and, you know, being quite smart with, with whatever money I've made that it, there's no necessities. So I don't have to go on, okay, you're a sport director now and you're going to be on the road for 150 days a year instead of, you know, 100. So that was like a big no-no for me, which closed, closes a lot of doors. <laughs> in the sport yeah take some time out of the sport and reflect and take stock and you yeah know, but there's, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of little things that are popping up all the time that's what's interesting and that's sure. you know and that's kind of the fun bit about making an announcement myself as well of like it's like putting out a i'm available sign you know it's like hey you know if people are interested oh, yeah. in, in talking to me about certain things then then let's you know look this is what's happened with the podcast you know absolutely let, let's jump let's jump back a bit to the beginning really i mean boy canberra boy Yes. Coming to Europe. I mean, that must have been just amazing and terrifying experience. And how did all that come about? Terrifying is definitely the word. You know, I know, I know these, you know, it's that typical, I think that typical old, older writer now that, that looks back and goes, I did this and, you know, I trekked through the, the snow to get to school and all that stuff. But, uh, when I look back at it now and think about it and I, and I tell people, you see how I guess the, the newer or the younger generation, come into the sport and into Europe and how they're, they're pampered and looked after and, and well-paid. And I remember turning up in Belgium, you know, walking out of the – in Brussels airport in the absolute pouring rain in March and waiting, you know, no no mobile, mobile phone with me. I didn't have anybody's phone number and I was apparently getting picked up by a – the sport director that I'd never met before and didn't know what he looked like. Uh, and so I'm just standing there in Brussels airport and now I'd freak out. And I'd be like, yeah. who's not picking me up? But then I was like, yeah. uh, I guess I'll just figure it out. And then he drove me in the rain to a to a pig farm and there was a family there that I went and that I went and stayed with. Yeah, I was thinking because obviously we're, we're we're a similar age. I think as you as mm-hmm. you get older, you always wonder sort of sports people the same sort of age as you. And as as before before we started chatting, I thought you you're probably almost the last of that generation in terms of turning up with your suitcase in Belgium and living with a family and sort of living off twenty euros a week or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. Almost the end of it, aren't you? So different yeah. to how the youngsters are coming into the sport now. Yeah, and you know, and then you look back to the stories before before us of, of you know, I always remember the stories of Alan Piper when he first came to to Belgium and Roger Hammond uh, from the UK, obviously, of really trying to make it. And I remember you know Tom Southam, who who's a director at EF, and Charlie Wigelius there as well. Is that you? You have to go through these. You know, to, to make it, you have to go through these hard times. You know, you have to go through these things of figuring it out yourself. And that's not there anymore, which is, I think, what we've all strived to be able to, for, for the, the newer, the younger generation to be able to do. But I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know what I mean? I was going to say, is it, do you have more? I, I don't. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Is it, the, is it more entitlement with the younger riders now? Is oh, it changing mate. the culture of the sport? Or you have, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea how many like. Uh, there's, I guess, the old statesmen that are around that I'm sure the young riders are like, oh, these guys. 
you know, they're old, they don't know what they're talking about and blah, blah, blah. But they, uh, yeah, they, they, there is a huge amount of entitlement in cycling, but that's also, that's what cycling has become. That's, that's the, that's the way cycling has become when you have now, 19 20 year olds in races such as yesterday you know would chop you in a corner and then yell at you and you'd kind of look at them and i'd be like that's kind of when i figured out that this is really starting to get towards the end of my my tenure of like huh it's had a 20 year old uh you know is nearly 20 years younger than me just cut me off in a corner and then have the hide to yell at me (laughs) like (laughs) and i was like okay yeah we're we're going in a different direction in cycling but I want to make something very clear saying that is that that's not me complaining. That's just what cycling is now. It's changed. It doesn't make it worse. It doesn't make it better. It's just different. It's just different, right? And I suppose these, these youngsters are now picked up at such a young age and told they're mm. superb and, yeah. you know, almost put up on a pedestal since sure. from 10 years old or whatever. So they probably think they are entitled. Well, you know. And the pay, you know, the pay scale, they're getting paid tons of money, you know. And a lot of the older guys are like, oh, they're never going to make it till they're 30. And it's like, well, maybe it's like football, you know, they don't have to make it till they're 30. They don't need to anymore. Yeah, they don't need to. They can go and buy all their fast cars and be bankrupt by the time they're 33. <laughs> but it seems such an oxymoron given given what, as a sort of cycling fan, you read in the press in terms of struggles with sponsorship or retaining mm. sponsorship or team losing sponsors. It seems quite a precarious sort of balancing act. Mm, but it's just, like I said, it's just different. It's different than what it was and we can't. You know, I think in in being in professional cycling for nearly two decades myself, I've seen I've seen dramatic changes come through a, a dark era, uh, and there was a lot of good things that happened in that era as well. There was the the respect level in the peloton. There was less crashes. There was less drama uh, for a whole. To then you know into the transitional stage, which is great for the younger riders, and now to a generation, a, a big generation, uh, generational change where there's you know there's guys getting signed from juniors going straight into the to the world tour. Yeah, uh, crazy times. I mean, as you sort of come to the end of your your tenure in your sport, I mean, if you take a bit of time out, what what are the things that you would like to see happen in the sport over the next couple of years with regards to riders and the evolution of the sport and contracts and safety and all that sort of side of things. I think that's a that's a tricky one because you know I think a lot of us have there's it'd be nice to see less of a divide between you know the UCI and the uh, the the CPA and the, and the which is the riders uh, the riders union and the riders yeah. themselves. Then are you still involved with the CPA? Yeah, but at some point you can't, you know, there's a few sayings like pushing shit up a hill. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. You, you can be the, try and be the catalyst to, of change in some respect and try and help out in that. But uh, some some doors are closed and they're firmly closed for, for financial reasons and, and historical reasons. And really trying to break that door open is, is incredibly difficult and needs a huge group of riders to come together as a whole, which the way cycling is going at the moment is definitely not going to happen because there is no, you know, there, there's no, it's not the set. And that's the other way of saying it, it's not the same as before that the respect level within the peloton between your peers and the other riders isn't there like the way that it used to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I think both, both eras have, have good and bad. There's good and bad to all of it, you know, but so it's, it's probably less united, right? It's probably more it's fragmented. Definitely, there's, it's definitely fragmented. But that's, you know, that's the model that, that's working right now for cycling. And I'm sure in four to five years, it'll change again, uh, you know, and that's, that's the cycle, the cycle of yeah. the sport, of, of any sport, of innovation. And someone gets to the top for a while and then you see this year, you know, a perfect example is Ineos and then all of a sudden they can't do it. 
you know, because for whatever reason, other people have caught on to the idea of it. So what would, you know, what would I like to see? Yeah, it'd be nice to see certain things. But at the same time, I think it's in, a, it, it's in whatever phase it's in now. And that's what we're going to see for the next little while, which which does make it more exciting for the uh, for the fans. It's really cool to see the the underdogs and the young guys, people attacking all the time, and and all you know what we saw in in the tour as well. I guess seeing the the unexpected, which makes it more exciting. Yeah, it's exciting, and it's. Yeah. I mean, again, I mean, I'm obviously not in the sport, but I mean. Obviously, we saw Sky come in. Obviously, now Ineos and and some of these more more global teams. Obviously, mm. your your current team is our startup Top Nation and mm. NTT Pro Cycling. But to see a team like Jumbo Visma, who who were not doing so well not that long ago, embrace a sort of more global, more you know, different ideas, and obviously they, they work with Dan Bingham and and you know, different thinking is and then being successful is from an outsider perspective is quite exciting. I think it's I think it's a you have to evolve like anything. You know, it's like technology. You have have to evolve with it you know whatever you, however the iphone works now in in 24 months time and what apps are on there is completely different because just the way technology evolves and the same goes for cycling if you don't keep ahead of that then you get stuck in the you know stuck in the the ways that you're in and that model doesn't work in cycling anymore yeah. you know innovation and i think and being uh, proactive and kind of thinking outside the box and and where they're actually some of the most important people in in the world tour teams are the performance managers uh, who handle the training and how to put it all together. Uh, yeah. That's become like one of the biggest the biggest jobs, you know. Yeah, evolving times. Mm. Jumping back to, to your Belgium time, obviously that you then went and spent a few years in in North America. I, I always look at that and think it looks such a fun place to to, to race and some some great races over there. What what was it like living over there for a few years? Well, it was it was tough. That was a was it? you know oh the first years like riding racing in the rain and and cold in the roads that you've no idea and you know no riders you know you know nobody at all new bike new new team new clothes new everything it was a really big hard transition and uh, you know I, I I suffered not only physically on the bike but it was a huge mental suffering. Of, of just trying to I guess at that age when you what I just turned 19 so I was first year under 23 is like just to to deal with life somewhere else uh and away from your home and everything is new this is, this is Belgium not 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 North America this is oh this, this is, is Belgium yeah yeah, yeah Belgium. Belgium okay cool okay, okay yeah, 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 yeah. yeah North America no, that's easy man <laughs> well that's what I mean that's what I was asking yeah yeah so Belgium was tough and then obviously you made the decision to to, to go and go spend some time in, in yeah in the US yeah that was easy that was fun it was liberating it was a it was a new new objective and it was I think it brought back it it was less professional uh which makes it more fun sometimes you know there's less on the line there's less uh less drama you know and you, you just have fun and you have to have that real bond like you would with a uh, in a team in, in the united states especially the the continental pro continental teams is you have to bond to win the races you have to come together as a team you know and you're sitting there in a in a parking lot on chairs because there's no buses or anything and, and you have to figure it out you know and that that was a really cool thing so there's more of a bond between the riders because it's not all about the money like it is in a lot of the time in Europe. Yeah, and they do race as well over there, right? Yeah, no, everything was well organized. There's a great history, and I, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed my time there. And but, you know, after I think it was five, six years, I think I was there total. It was kind of near the end, and it was like it was more of my age of getting to. I think I was hitting 30, 31 the year after, and I was like, okay, so this is. I have to either go now and give give Europe another shot, or I or I need to find another direction, or study, or do something in 
in the States there. Did you feel with Europe it was an itch you still wanted to itch? You wanted to give it one more crack? It was there because I felt like I was getting, I, I started achieving more uh, and learned a lot more and matured more in the United States because that was the benefit if I'd stayed on European teams as well. I would always be that helper and that, that you know, uh, in the US I learned to win. I learned to yeah. take on take on the pressure of a race because my level was, you know, I was, I was one of the better, I was a, a big fish in a smaller pond. Whereas in Europe, right. you're, the, you're the small fish. So to learn to take the pressure and the stress of, of people working for you and make decisions and, and, and try and win races. And so I learned a lot. And so I thought, oh, you know, let's see if we can, we can put this back into the European scene. And, you know, I always had a dream to, to come back to Europe and, and ride the Grand Tours and some of the big races that I didn't get a chance to when I was here before. So then it was like, all right, let's, let's see whether we can do this. And yeah, luckily it, it came, you know, it came together in the kind of the last minute. Right. Cause you came up with Saxo and then, and then moved to, to Movistar after a, a yeah. couple of years or a year or two, two years. Uh, I had a two year contract with, uh, first with Saxo Tinkoff, then it was Tinkoff Saxo yeah. uh, the year after. And then, uh, then I think Oleg bought it outright and I was always going to stay there. Uh, but then when Oleg Tinkoff bought it outright, he wanted more Russian guys. So they signed more riders and then realized they had overdone the, the amount of riders they're allowed to have um on oh, the team so Bjarne Reese called me and he's like yeah you know that contract we said that we were going to agree on and everything was going to be okay yeah we don't have any spots left so you're gonna have to find somewhere else um, as an outsider the whole contract thing around cycling just seems totally mad how yeah, that can happen to you it's based on on people's opinions but unless you have something in your hand it doesn't mean nothing it doesn't mean shit mate <laughs> like yeah unless you have a signed contract uh then yeah you don't have a job but you also don't know if the company's gonna keep going but i think if you put the shoe on the other foot what we're seeing now in the, in the news in the last week about you know the the first of october was the deadline for all the riders that teams were deciding not to renew their contracts they they get told yeah. in the real world you don't get three months you know you don't get three months to find another job you know in, in the real world you get fired on the spot and maybe get two months uh, two weeks severance pay or something depending which country you're from so you know it's it's really not all that bad the problem is there's not many positions in cycling and they by the time you get to the first of october they're pretty much most of them are gone yeah crazy uh, and obviously with yeah i, I mean in t- some of the teams obviously picking picking riders for the giro who are who, who don't have a contract that seems again from an outsider perspective an unusual thing to be doing uh unusual on one side but on the other side i think that's a huge sign of respect towards the riders to Is that an opportunity to put themselves to, in a shot window. Yeah, because otherwise, because yeah. I had the same thing when I got called by, you know, I was meant to go to the Vuelta with 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 Tinkoff Saxo, and I had said, guys, I really need to go to the Vuelta because I need to show myself a little bit more to to make sure that I can solidify, you know, the, that I can get a job for the future. And uh, and Oleg himself put a, a stop that. He's like, well, he's not going to be with us next year, so I don't care. So that's one side. And the other side is now, you know, obviously there are some some teams that respect that and, and like that. And I know it's not always possible because it's business decisions for them and development for the future for other riders. But, yeah, it was – I've had both sides. Yeah. Well, obviously, you, you got a contract at um, Movistar and had a, a, an amazing three years with them, really, didn't you? A lot of success. And how it took us through your time with them? I, I thrived there. I didn't think I would. But I was actually really surprised that my agents came to me and he goes, quite funnily enough, out of all the teams, and we were talking to quite a few English-speaking teams. And, and yeah, funnily enough, it was he said, we've actually got contact from Movistar and they're interested. And I think that came about because I, I was riding with, with Contador on, on Tinkoff and, and had the opportunity that he was such a great rider 
that he was leading leading races in, in Catalonia and Water Catalonia and then Pays Basque. And I was on good form and we worked really well together and, and I and I looked after him, you know, I, I believe really well. So I could I managed to show myself. And Movistar was looking for that. And and I didn't think I was gonna thrive as much as I did when I got to Movistar, but it just really you, you can read about a lot of foreign writers that go in that complain about the system and, and of how it's run there, but it's it's how the Spanish culture is. So if you open your eyes and you, you know, it's a system that works and it's a system there that is is hugely or, or was maybe a little bit less so now with, with the changing of the guard, but uh, it's hugely based on, on family and, and respecting one another and racing with with your mates, you know, like like having a really good bond within the guys there. And I've got so many friends from, from that team you know, I want to get to learn a, a foreign language and, uh, you know, I, I have so many great memories from being there. That's awesome. I, I mean, were you living, so obviously you embraced the culture of the Spanish team. Were, were you living in Girona by then or that's when you moved to Girona? I was, yeah, I was living in Girona, but but being a foreigner in Girona, you didn't really have to speak, well, one, the, the language there is Catalan, which is far yeah. removed from, from Spanish. And oh, then there's yeah. some Spanish being spoken there, but it's definitely not enough. You can, you can pull yourself, if you're an Anglo, you know, if you're... English speaker, you can get away with pretty much everything there. You don't need to learn the language because there's so many places that speak English. Um, that's my community as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So there's no need. Yeah. And so me going to Movistar, that's where it really kicked off my Spanish because all of a sudden no one spoke English. And so it was like, oh, I guess we're going to learn Spanish pretty quickly, aren't we? And that's that, that's also a huge thing in my life that's helped me dramatically, you know, to, to be put into that that, that group of, of, of guys and then kind of having to break through the language barrier as well. That's a great life experience to pick up mm. right in the way. Yeah, 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 and that's and that's what's I think a lot of the generation now doesn't have and and does and won't get. There's there's tons of riders and that's the negative side of making the the sport more international is that you if you go to Ineos or you go to you know Israel Startup Nation, you go to Mitchell and Scott, you go to you know NTT English for the European guys it's fantastic because they can improve their English. But yeah. for the English speakers they don't learn anything else. There's there's nothing. No. Which is yeah, it seems a shame, right? It's it is a shame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, three three great years there. Any any particular highlights from the Movistar years? Always riding with 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 Alejandro, you know, with Valverde, for me was it was interesting because when we when I when I was signed for the team, you know, assigned to to help the leaders and uh, Asebio Unzue, who's the you know the the boss, the big boss yeah. of the team, yeah, yeah. sat down and when we signed the contract, he's like, you know, there's no point us having uh, a bonus structure in your contract because he goes, I'm not I'm not paying you to win races. He goes, that's not why I'm hiring you. He goes, I don't need you. He said, if you can win a race, that's fantastic. But I'm yeah. I'm I'm hiring you for a specific job to help the team in an area that we need some help in. So that, you know, that obviously started it all off really well. And then, you know, he told her, I heard that he told Alejandro, he goes, oh, I've hired this guy for you. He's going to help you. And Alejandro's very Spanish. And he's like, okay, great. We've got another international rider. And they'd had some problems with some international guys before that about them fitting into the group because it's very difficult to break into that, you know, the Spanish, the Spanish family group and culture and Alejandro apparently was like oh yeah here we go another one and then you know a few a few races in I remember him I remember being told that he had gone to back to Savio and said uh now I understand why you hired this guy like I, I just sit on his wheel and I'm calm and I'm I have no worries about about anything you know we can he'll always put me in the right position he'll always look after me he'll always keep me safe and so from then on it worked yeah. really our relationship was fantastic and you know we, we still talk to each other and have a, have a great amount of respect for him and that was something there and the friendships I made in the, in that team 
uh, and that's yeah. staff as well that I could call up any one of them. And and if I said there's I have a problem, I had, I had guys when I, after my accident in Tel Aviv, I had some of Swanyers saying, "Do you need me to come to you?" Wow, and I'm like guys, you're in Spain. He's like, "Yeah, but if you need me to come on," a, and that's but that's very Hispanic as well. It's very Latin. He's like, "If you need me to get on a plane, I'll come and help you. Like if you need help, I'm here to help you." You know, yeah. we're we're friends. We're like family, which is amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's amazing. Well, Ver- well, Verdi's got a couple of years on you, though, hasn't he? Yeah, he's forty. Yeah, he's been 40 he's still this year. going strong. Still yeah, going strong. Still up there. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. I'd, I'd I think got- I'd retire before him, but yeah, there you go. I was going to say, like, in terms of you mentioned Contador there, and obviously Valverde. In terms of the most naturally gifted athletes that you've come across during your career, who, who are the standouts? Those two? Anyone else? Uh, they're incredibly. Those two are incredibly talented, but they also work incredibly hard. You know, and yeah. that's there, there's a lot of guys that are super talented, but don't know, don't work as hard as some of the others because it's natural. But those are the two. I think it's easier for me to say because they're the guys that I've worked with the most. You know, the uh, in the in the last few years, and they're the guys that I respect on and off the bike for for what they did and how they how they how they handled and worked within the group of riders that that were there. So how they treated their teammates, basically. Certainly, there's tons of other talented riders, but I don't you know I, I can't really comment on them because I don't know them personally. You know, I don't know. For me, it's not just about how good they are and how talented they are. It's about who they are and how they are as a person. It's the whole package, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and how hard they work and how they yeah. treat people and all that kind of stuff right yeah yeah and uh so three years there and then ended up at uh went to emirates next didn't you yeah UAE, went to emirates. uae with with dan martin uh, i was gonna say know, that, that's when you guys got to, started riding together wasn't it yeah that was the first time we it was kind of the deal for for dan because it was still kind of an unknown team at the time yeah. we have the same the same riders agent uh, that we work with and it was kind of like a package ah. deal to go across i could have stayed with movistar and but there was you know Dan asked me also to, to come with him because it's. Uh, a, yeah, so I didn't realize how that works. So it's for your yeah. agent that you, you knew each other. Okay, cool. Well, it's like, yeah, yeah, we need this other rider as well. And, you know, you kind of package in a deal with things. You, know, you see that with well, a lot of sprinters do it, you know, uh, or you see with uh, yeah, Greg, Greg Van Avermaet and, and Michael Scheer. You know, they're yeah, yeah, the yeah. always together because they, they just trust each other and they know how to get the most out of each other. So it happens quite a lot in that, in that respect. But yeah, I went across there and that was a, that was an eye-opening experience, especially the, the first year. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly what I think we signed up for. And I, I don't think we got valued for who we were and our, the way that we had, what we had done in our careers, which was unfortunate. They've, they've made quite a lot of... Because there was a new team or what was... What was no, I think there was just an old mentality when we came across. I think there was a rushed, a, a pretty big rush, you know, all of a sudden they came across all this money, you know, the the Emirates, money from the Emirates and they needed to build out a team fast and, and they kind of got the old structure and tried to fit it in with a new one. It doesn't really work that way, um, oh, right. in my opinion. Uh, you know, yeah. you, money doesn't just fix everything. You can't just buy results. You need to build. In my in my my point of view, is you have to build a team. You can't just buy one. It doesn't doesn't yeah. come together that way. We well, need uh, to build a culture and exactly. Um, and, yeah. and so there was yeah. this, there was the old. I've got nothing against Italians or or my Italian teammates that were there. Or I've got so many good friends and staff and everything. But the culture was a bit of a clash for for me coming from Movistar and and I think. For Dan as well, it was more that what we learned technologically with nutrition, with things like that in other teams, wasn't being implemented there. And we saw that as a huge just waste then, you know, of, of, yeah, of opportunity and talent. Uh, yeah. But you'd I, expect 
thing and you're one of these new sort of global brands that they'd be sort of all over the, the science and nutrition and technology. Yeah, but, but you know, there's certain ways of doing it. Uh, and a lot of the times you need to fail a little bit before you can succeed. You know, you need to yeah. see your shortcomings. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's what happened. And, and what's happened in that that organization is, you know, you, you can see the results from this year. It's not just about talented riders, but it's about getting a lot more out of those riders. And there's been a lot of changes along the way and improvements. And, you know, I, I didn't have the most fun in my life uh, the first year there. And and after that, things start to roll and change. And, and yeah, they're obviously improved a lot of areas and seen, like I said, their shortcomings and, and decided to move forward in a, in a more positive way, which I think for the riders is fantastic. Yeah, obviously, well, obviously tremendous success this year. Mm. And, and do you think that's just the team evolving or do you think there are any sort of one or two particular changes that, that, that sort of instigated that success? No, I think it's just evolving, you know, I think yeah. I said it, I've, I've said it before within certain parts of organizations and specifically in cycling and professional in cycling is that the, the best catalyst for change is disaster. You know, if you have a shocking, shocking race or if you have a shocking Tour de France and, and it just doesn't go well, that's when you get the change to happen because people are like, obviously this isn't working. Instead yeah, of just yeah. kind we, of we, skirting yeah, along, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's what you know. We had, you know, they had it's a big almost issue. better to fail badly, you know. Do you yeah. know what I mean? you got to, you, sometimes you have to. It's the same with with racing. You know, if you think you're above everybody, and then you get in a race and you get your butt kicked, that's when you kind of smack it into gear and go, oh, okay, I got to get back to training, get back to basics, and you know, I need to step up myself. Uh, and I think it's the same for teams. They they go back and they analyze it and go, okay, so we obviously messed up somewhere. How do we? improve on that yeah where do we go be interesting to see what Ineos does yes um yeah absolutely so obviously last year uh, and we had I don't know if you know do you know Troy de Haas yes um, I know Troy, Troy yeah. really well actually I got a funny yeah. story about Troy I got a funny story about Troy so he funny was he, 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 he was living one, he was living in in Canberra at the time where I grew up yeah. and okay. so I would have been just finished school so I was kind of uh, or getting ready to finish school. I wasn't in Europe yet. And so there's the Australian Institute of Sport is based or was based in uh, in Canberra. And so there's all the, the facilities for gymnastics and basketball and, and the national programs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I got offered a job there, like a part-time gig that they give to athletes that was to basically do the, the tours. So take the kids around the tours of the facilities, like school groups and things like that. Uh, so you could just do like a one and a half hour tour and do a, two of those back to back or something a few times a, a week. And, you know, it supplements, uh, kind of gives you some income while you're trying to become a professional athlete. And, and Troy was actually the boss of the, the tour guides. So that's how I actually got to know him. And we're still, we're still in contact quite a bit now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I know Troy from from Hong Kong days, but obviously he's 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 been doing a bit of work with Israel Startup Nation. We we had him on the on the podcast as well, and he he's he was so excited about the project. But what, what's your experience been, or what drew you and Dan to joining them, and what's your experience been, and 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 how's it been since you've been there? I think when we first, you know, when you first see one part was to begin with, it was meant to be staying a pro continental team and building on what they've already started, you know, started achieving at the continental and then into the, I guess, the lower ranks and then into the higher ranks of pro continental cycling. Uh, and that was super appealing. And to me, there's a big, uh, there's something missing within the UCI structure of the world tour that you, you know, all these teams have to do the, all these races, et cetera, et cetera. Like you have to go to this race. It's like Movistar never or Uscatel back in the day, you send them to, to Paris-Roubaix. It's like there's no point. 
you know, like yeah, you, you're yeah, kind of yeah. forced, you're forced to do a lot of these races, which I don't think works very well. And so Dan and I had a few chats and, you know, when the, the conversations were happening with our agent and, you know, and kind of the prospect of, of not having to do the entire world tour calendar, but being able to do a grand tour like the Giro and then maybe the Vuelta if you got in and some of the big races, but not all of them. And, and that was kind of cool. And then I guess what really kicked it off is I had spoken to the riders because I know a lot of them and it was a really cool group of guys and they were also in Girona. But then I spoke with – I had a meeting with with uh, Chell Karlstrom, the general manager, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and it was really interesting because, you know, he his job was as a cyclist was kind of mine as well. It was very similar. It's like we weren't there for success, personal successes. We were there for the success of the team. And, and we started having a conversation and it just – I guess it clicked in one way pretty much straight away, but we we figured out that he was trying to convince me of how the structure was in the team and I was trying to convince him of basically the same thing about what was important because you usually you don't agree with general managers on everything. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. And I just, I don't know, I just had this feeling from him that, that he was very, very straightforward, very straight talker. You know, he's not there to screw you around. It's not about trying to screw you on money if there's if there's not enough money there's no more money for the contract that's what it is you know it's yeah. it, it, that's they have a budget for a reason and so just having a conversation with a general manager that you you know you you respect and you you see eye to eye with and about i guess what seeing what the plans for you my, for me was for the team and how the biggest selling point for me was that i felt like i was i was being valued for and not valued financially, but valued for what I can bring to a team. Uh, that I can be, that I can bring the talents that I have, and help it help the organization in that way. And we see eye to eye on what the actual, you know, the what the goal is in the end. Obviously, that was on and off the bike. I take it. So yeah, how yeah, that's develop team dynamics and stuff exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. You yeah. know, helping helping get the the younger Israeli guys uh, or the Israeli professionals trying to get them up another level. You know, another notch from a, these guys that have that have been in a country that doesn't have a huge culture in cycling. Yeah. So that was really cool to kind of come into to a different organization. And me and I know Dan and I spoke about it even after the first meeting uh, with the team was like, it was just cool that there was no egos on the team. It was just a really good group of guys that kind of chat and hang out together, you know, and that right. was a really no great bullshit. environment. Yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. It was just straight yeah. to the point and everyone could, everyone was on the same level and that's, I think that's a really nice way to have it. Yeah, nice transparency and good, good mm. group of people, and that's what it's all about at the end of the day when you're in a work environment. And 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 how obviously talk about the sort of races you got left towards the end of the season. But where do you see the team going? Obviously, the massive signings for next year, and and how do you see that dev- uh, evolving over the next couple of years? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I don't. Uh, I haven't spoken to, to Sylvan Adams, the owner, about certain things, so I don't know the the plans. Obviously, there's there's a big. Uh, a big investment done by him to 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 push the team forward and, and to a higher level. Yeah, uh, you can obviously see that with that's what happens when you sign Chris Froome. So obviously the passion and the belief is there in 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 that. Uh, and I think I I think in a, in a good way the team's in a, in a kind of a transitional stage of of really learning uh, what the world tour is and and how to be you know how it can be managed and how to to get the most out of the the riders. 
uh, and to get the best out of the results. And I think they're going in a really good direction, but none, none of it's ever going to be easy or, or automatic. You know, it, it takes time to get a group together. It takes time, you know, for, for staff that haven't done a grand tour or haven't done the Tour de France to understand what it is. And that goes same for riders that, that aren't used to doing uh, flesh or liege. They don't know the roads, uh, all that stuff. So it's an evolving process, but I think the the, the really important part of, of this team is, is having that core base of of a real team a real group of people that i know when they're signing writers they they interview them pretty harshly or hard hard interviews to really find out if that not just physiologically that writer can fit in the team and the role but if they can fit within the group and and if you can just kind of not just have be looking at the numbers but of what athletes can do but in in how they how they react to their teammates how they react to the staff you can have that kind of family core group of people and everyone kind of fits in because it does make things easier if that if that remains so yeah you know absolutely taking more of a sort of outside of sport business approach to it isn't it it's, it's, mm. it's obviously building the culture it sounds like they've got the the foundations of of a good setup there It'd be interesting to see how they they develop they sort of evolve that when they build that and it takes time mate like it's not a it's not an overnight thing we all wish i think all the writers and 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 the management i'm sure the owner wishes that it was overnight that you can have you know this year direct directly uh success at the tour de france but it, it it's a process you know it's all a process and like i said before sometimes making those those mistakes or some mistakes that they that everyone learns from as long as you're learning from them then you actually you know you can you can evolve into being having a stronger group of people and a stronger stronger team yeah uh you can't do it overnight as you found out from year one with, with uae but yeah. and, and i'm sure you've been in team environments whereby you know a, a couple of obviously mentioned no names but a couple of bad signings sort of character wise can can disrupt a whole dynamic of an organization hugely hugely Hugely, you know, and that's that's why, honestly, when I look at the you know the list of signings for next year, is that I know pretty much all of them as as people, you know, the the Daryl Impey's, uh, Mike Woods, and they're, they're people that you know. Luckily enough, I you know I live near them and and know their families. I probably know their wives and their kids just as well as I know them, and they're just good. It, it's good people, you know, getting good people in together who can then you know we all share this this common common passion or hobby as it began uh and that's what's going to make i think a a very big difference once it all you know once the time is you've taken the time to really get there yeah that's very cool well we wish them all the best on that journey Mm -hmm. now changing subjects slightly onto very important things coffee talk talk us through (laughs) your, your love affair of coffee and when did that start which is quite funny because I don't have a love affair of coffee, to be honest. I'm not. Do a, you know what? <laughs> I'm not a. I'm a businessman, man. Okay, fair enough. I'm, fair enough. I'm, I'm. I'm not into passion projects, shall we say? Okay. And that's not. That's not to say it in an arrogant way, but it's made. If if a. Uh, if my dad always taught me that he's like Rory if there's if there's a cafe that looks really cool and and you want to invest in that and and that's that's great if it works whatever but if the car wash next door makes more money buy the car wash, the uh, car wash yeah. it's not as it's not as cool and fancy but it's 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 a business you know it's 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 something that that you can can make money off and and support your future because um, obviously we don't we don't have this lawyer wasn't he was he your dad was a lawyer is yes that right? yeah, yeah he was a lawyer yeah. so yeah it was uh he was a scottish lawyer so he's very very to the point uh, rational. rational yes yes no but we you know we've been looking at you know like i said i've done relatively well financially from from the sport and and saved saved well you know not have been making money like footballers or some of the neo pros these days but when you've been in the sport you know been a professional for 16 years then 
if you if you play your cards right, uh, you can you can put away you know put money to the side and, and look after things. And you know, an opportunity came up to to have a, a specific type of cafe in Girona, cafe restaurant, and and you know my wife and I were like, oh yeah, why not? Like let's let's try something. You know why not? If we if we lose, we lose, and then I just have to find another job after cycling but if it works it, it, it's really good to you know, for us to have a base in Girona and, and hopefully can give give jobs to the community and, and help the community as well um, so yeah we bought we it was originally it still is a franchise uh, called the Federal Cafe now running them out of a couple of Australian guys in Barcelona had set it up there and uh, I really liked the concept and it was something that I thought that that was missing in in Girona and, and a lot of Spain where where you can't a lot of the time you can't get food or drinks at what we would consider normal hours <laughs> yeah, normal yeah. normal normal dinner time so you know it's 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 very base it's based on you know the australian kind of cafe us uh british uh, where you can get food basically like an it's an all-day kitchen so the kitchen's always open and, and you get food or you can just go there you can go there for for an espresso or you can go there with a group of 30 people for uh you know three course meal of of good quality food a bit more uh, not stuck in the the spanish system but more international of what you can what you can get uh i guess more westernized and we had a ball you know had a ball setting it up and and, and working through it i've learned so much about i guess the business and and more importantly about how to deal with people and manage people uh yeah. been a really interesting one and also in a different language to do that has been a learning curve and then last year in august we actually bought uh one of the first one that was ever made that, that was ever started in barcelona uh, so last oh, august cool. we bought that yeah so that's kind of you know our little buying buying ourselves a, a a stable future to some extent but then this this strange pandemic arrived which didn't help tourism and uh and what right. have you but uh but we're we'll, we'll survive you know of we have 30 30 staff members between the two the two businesses that's quite a challenge dealing with while you're being a professional cyclist at the same time yeah. but you know the the most important thing for me is that that the staff are happy and and you know work well together and and we can give a service out that that I can be proud of and they can be proud of and you know it seems to seems to be working pretty well oh, good oh, good on you well uh, if you're in Barcelona or Girona anytime soon go and check out Federal Cafe we'll put the link in the show notes actually my my best mate lives in Barcelona so I'll, I'll send him down to go send and him find over. you no freebies mate over. I can't do freebies no of course not no of course not of it was course. another thing my dad taught me is like even if you're in the business you don't give freebies <laughs> <laughs> I bet he said that I bet he said that it's a business he's Scottish mate he's Scottish come on exactly yeah <laughs> fair play but really I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time um, middle of races thank you so much it's been fantastic to chat is there anything else you wanted to sort of bring up or mention or no, have we missed think- anything I think I think we're pretty good. I think I haven't been too left or right sided. I think I've, you know, I, I try to try to say things the way that I see it, and and you know, I'm I, I definitely care about the people I work with, and 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 being, I guess, a good try to be a good person and and good at what I do as a job. Um, so hopefully it it came across in that you know in an honest way. You know, we can we can showing that you can still have a laugh and and go through a lot of. Uh, you know, especially with the leg accident coming back, that you can you can go through things and still make it back to to the top end of the sport, I guess. Um, but no, it's resilient. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that it's the you know life's life's short and life's pretty pretty cool if you if you allow it to be. So yeah, my words, absolutely. my words of wind, wisdom as a 38 year old. Well, I think they're pretty good words of wisdom. <laughs> I'll take them into my 39th year in a couple of days. But, <laughs> there you uh, go. Uh, 
There you go. Thanks for taking the time. Let's stay in touch. Let us know. And if anyone's listening that wants to get in touch with Rory with regards to commercial opportunities, I'm sure he'll <laughs> gladly. Everything's open at the moment, guys. Everything's open. Everything's open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good on you. All the best uh, on Sunday. Go well. Feeling good for it. What I mean, what just out of interest, what I mean, what do you guys do between um, Fresh Lorraine and uh, Liège Basin Liège? You've got a few days now. Is it sort of roll the legs over? And what what what's the sort of format over the next couple of days? Yeah, today normally after uh, after Flesh Flesh yesterday is a pretty full on 200k classic, so everyone's pretty gassed, and you can like put it all out there because it's not a stage race. So today is generally a recovery day and and kind of chill out and go for a nice easy ride, have a coffee and and do podcasts. <laughs> it's podcast day, and then tomorrow we do, we generally go and do the recon, which is about between 80 and 90k every age, uh, the the finale, and then Saturday is another recovery day, getting ready for for the 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 classic the monument and then sunday's uh you know it's a big 250k uh, don't know what the weather's going to be like and uh yeah it's going to be yeah. you got to be mentally and physically ready for that so yeah it's a yeah. uh, looking forward to it yeah good well all, all the best uh enjoy enjoy the next few days enjoy sunday i hope dan goes well i hope the whole team go well and thank you so much for taking the time i have to say it must be pretty pretty tough for, for all the teams with regards to just how much racing is going on towards the end of the year here but as a spectator it's it's I think we've got 41 days of racing in a row. It's bloody brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.